On today's episode, we are digging into the next of Grimm's fairy tales, a story titled The Three Ravens. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how folktales and fairy tales were way more fun back when they were completely dark and totally insane, back before anyone decided they needed to be more family-friendly. So here at Shadow Bear, we're going through the original versions of Grimm's Fairy Tales front to back, and today we're getting into a little tale titled The Three Ravens. Definitely a lesser-known folktale. Let's not waste any time. We begin. Once upon a time, there was a mother who had three little sons who were playing cards one day next to the church. And when the sermon was finished, their mother returned home and saw what they had been doing. So she cursed her godless children, and they were immediately turned into three coal-black ravens and flew away. One thing I love about these old folk tales, they don't waste any time setting the scene up top. I don't care about painting a nice picture. We just get right into it. How is this mother able to do this, first of all? Is she a witch? She's, she's a church? Is she, she have sort of religious curses? What religion? Who knows? We continue. The three brothers, however, had a little sister who loved them with all her heart. And she grieved so much about their banishment that she no longer had any peace of mind and finally set out to look for them. The only thing that she took with her for the long, long journey was a little stool on which she rested when she became too tired. And she ate nothing the entire time but wild apples and pears. Carrying a stool with you would get pretty tiring itself, though. Just sit on the ground. You don't need a stool. Stools are heavy and extremely unwieldy. There's no comfortable way to carry a stool. Just gonna make you tired faster. Bad plan, little girl. Bad plan. Unfortunately, she couldn't find the three ravens, but one time, when they had flown over her head, one of them had dropped a ring, and when she picked it up, she recognized it as the ring that she had given to her youngest brother one time as a present. The sister continued her journey, and she went so far, so very far, until she came to the end of the world, and went to the sun which was, however, much too hot, and eight small children. So after that, she went to the moon, which was, however, much too cold, and also mean, and when it saw her, it said, I smell, I smell human flesh. Okay, so both the sun and the moon eat children, and she is somehow able to reach the sun? There's a lot going on in this story. So the maiden left there quickly and went to the stars, which were good to her, and each one sat on a little stool. Okay, there are other people with stools, as she fits in. And the morning star stood up and gave her a gammy leg to help her open the gate to the glass mountain. Okay, they're throwing a lot at us real fast. Just to sum up the last few sentences, the sun is malicious 
and eats children. The moon, also super messed up and eats children. The stars are nice. They hang out on stools. They give her a fucked up leg, like a mangled, disembodied leg, which she is now apparently supposed to use as a key to open a gate in space to the glass mountain. Also in space. Just want to clarify, make sure we're all on the same page. Because this story don't give a shit. We continue. Quote, If you don't have this little leg, you won't be able to climb the glass mountain. It's on the glass mountain that you'll find your brothers. So the sister took the gammy leg. I like that phrase, gammy leg. Sounds like the way you'd insult someone in like the 50s. So the sister took the gammy leg, wrapped it in some cloth, and continued her journey until she came to the glass mountain. However, the gate was closed, and just as she wanted to take the gammy leg from the cloth, she discovered that she had lost it along the way. Okay, bloody hell, girl. Get your shit together. You have one belonging. I guess two belongings. You have a stool and a gammy leg, and you lost the gammy leg. Since she didn't know what to do, she took a knife, sliced off her pinky, stuck it into the lock, and opened the gate. Alright, first off, you're trying to go through this gate? You're in space! Go around the gate! You can't be stopped by a gate in fucking space. Secondly, how did the pinky work? She was explicitly told by the stars, make sure you have this fucked up leg, otherwise you won't be able to get to the glass mountain. And she immediately loses that leg. But then somehow thinks, oh, I'll cut off my pinky. Which is in no way similar to a leg in shape or size. And, and that'll work. And then it does. Nonsense, Three Ravens. Nonsense on you. <sighs> well, okay. So she gets inside after cutting off her own pinky. Well, she doesn't even have a pinky. And she's probably bleeding all over space as well. Then, a little dwarf came toward her and said, My child, what are you looking for here? I'm looking for my brothers, the three ravens. The Lord Ravens are not home, said the little dwarf. If you want to wait, then come in. The Lord Ravens. So there are Lord Ravens in space now? How the hell did that happen? And why do they have this space butler? This little person who's a space dwarf. Space dwarf butler. Seems like a pretty good setup, to be honest. I thought they were just turned into crows and sent off. They've managed to figure out a pretty good situation. They live on a cool glass mountain in space with a little space dwarf butler. It's cool as hell. So the dwarf says, if you want to wait for them, then come in. And the little dwarf brought three little plates and three little mugs. And the sister ate a bit from each little plate and drank a sip from each mug. And she let the r little ring fall into the last mug. What will be eating the food that's clearly for the ravens? Although she's probably pretty hungry at this point. Can't blame her for that. All of a sudden, a whizzing and a buzzing could be heard in the air. The Lord Ravens are flying back home, said the little dwarf. Whizzing and buzzing are not the noises that birds make when they fly. 
Although maybe that's the noise of the spaceship, of the raven spaceships that they use. I don't know, we need to explore these raven spaceships more. And the ravens began to speak, one after the other. Who has eaten from my little plate? Who has drunk from my little mug? See, I knew they'd be pissed. As the third raven, however, came to his little mug, he found the ring and saw clearly that their little sister had arrived. They recognized her because of the ring, and they were all saved and transformed and were happy to go home. The end. Fuck off. How was that the end? Firstly, wasn't the little girl just standing there the whole time? Why didn't they see her? Why didn't they recognize her until the ring situation? Couldn't the dwarf just have announced her since he's apparently their space butler? Also, it was never established that the ravens forgot who they were or couldn't recognize her or that they were, there was any possible way of transforming them back. And what, all they had to do to transform back was recognize their sister? How did that transform them back? And the mom hasn't forgiven them. The mom banished them. She cursed them, turned them into ravens, and said, go away. There's been nothing established that she's forgiven them. Nothing has changed on that front. They don't know that they can go back home. And why would they want to at this point? Really? Let's be honest. Why would it be better to be back in their weird home with their super religious mom who won't let them play cards? Being a space raven who lives on an interstellar glass mountain and has a dwarf butler sounds so much cooler than dreary life with your buzzkill of a mom. Like if anything, they should have just been like, life's way better up here in space. Sister, good to see you. You should just stay up here with us now. Our dwarf butler is super cool. He makes food for us. Let's us just go on our own adventures. And remember how nice the stars are? They're great. You can go over with your stool, hang out with the stars. Let's just stay here. Mom won't care. She only cares about going to church. She literally banished her own children and turned us into animals for playing cards one time. Do we really want to go back home and never have fun? Just go to church with Buzzkill Mom? No, we're staying in space with the stars and our cool dwarf space butler, and we'll figure out a plan to kill the moon because the moon sucks for some reason. And that should be the sequel to this, to be honest. They should stay in space, and I'll plan an attack to kill the evil moon. I want to see that story. I mean, I'll be honest, this story is insane, but I'm here for it. I love this shit. This went off the rails immediately, and then we went straight into space, and then the sun is evil and eats kids, and then the moon is evil and also eats kids and smells human flesh. Never heard that, that characterization of the moon, but then the stars are just chilling and super cool. They're like, hey, take this leg. It'll open the gate to the glass mountain, which is also a place in space. That's where your birds, your bird brothers are because birds are from space apparently here i'm here for this story this is why we're doing this people is batshit bananas crazy nonsense and it's the best it's where it's at all right what is the lesson i don't i don't even know this one i guess the lesson is something like if something happens to your family your friends go do what you can to save them but I don't think she's really saving them here. Space seems way better than what they had going on on Earth. I think the real lesson here is that sometimes when something seemingly bad happens, 
like getting kicked out of your house and transformed into a raven, it actually could be an opportunity for a better life. Because clearly, that parent sucks if they're kicking, if they're cursing you and turning you into a bird and sending you out of out of the house. You can do better than that. So when something bad happens, use it as an opportunity to improve yourself and your life, like these fucking cool-ass ravens do. They don't dwell on what they left behind. They're going and flying around in fucking space and being awesome. So when something bad happens, don't dwell on the past. Go fly around in space and be great. I mean, these ravens were literally able to reach the stars and establish some type of cool space mountain mansion with the servants and everything. And they did all that after getting freed from their terrible mother who didn't want them. So yeah, when something bad happens, use it as an opportunity. That's the real lesson here. Now let's adapt this. Man. Well, this is a trippy one. I really like how sort of trippy and out there and ethereal this is. So we're going to keep that kind of vibe. It's going to be trippy. It's going to be... Maybe have a sort of a magical realism kind of feel. I don't know. They're going to be... It's going to be modern day... Okay, I kind of have a weird out there idea for this. Just, just, just stick with me. So they're going to be adults. It's going to be like gangland Los Angeles. A family in poverty. And it's a bunch of foster siblings living with their sweet old mom. And they've tried to stay out of the gang life all their lives. And the sister will be played by Zendaya. And the brothers will be... Brother number one will be Ezra Miller. He's great. Brother number two will be John Boyega. Brother number three, Ronnie Chang. Love all of them. So one day, the three brothers playing pool at a local dive bar and just enjoying themselves when the leader of the big local gang who's played by Sam Rockwell. He shows up and he says, you know what? I'm sick of these brothers acting like they're better than, than me. They're, they're, they're separate from the gang life. And he, he scoops them up, forces them back into his van, and t- or back into his truck, his nice SUV, and says, Look, you've been living in my territory all your lives, and you've done nothing for me. I won't fly any longer. You, now you've got to help me with one big job, and then I'll let you go about your lives and do what you please. But if you refuse to help me this one time, this one time I've only asked you for something, then I'm going to kill you, your sister, your sweet little mother, Alia. So do one job for me, and then you can go free. And so they have no choice, and they're swept away. And so Zendaya then learns that Sam Rockwell is actually planning to take out the leader of a rival gang and just is going to use the brothers to take the fall for it. He's going to set him up, basically. And that way Sam Rockwell can take out the rival gang leader, not lose any of his own men, and also send a message to everyone else in the community that if they don't join him or support him, then bad things will happen to them. Whereas... Anyone who joins him is protected. So the sister, Zendaya, Zendaya jumps into action. And this is where things get real trippy and dark and weird. She goes about navigating this, this dark criminal underworld. And she isn't part of the gang, but since she lives in that community and lots of people in the neighborhood are in the gang, she's got friends who have ties there. So one of her friends brings her to one of the, the gang's parties that night. She puts on all this makeup so nobody recognizes her. She goes to the party to try to get information on what they're up to while trying to come off as just some party girl. And she realizes that there's there's this high-level gangster upstairs who's, say he's like a pimp or something, and 
So she tells one of the low-level guys, the gang members, that she's she's poor and she just wants to start turning tricks. I don't know what you say how you say it. And who could she talk to about that? She just wants to get off the get off the streets. And it's real risky, but they take her up to the top floor of this weird, trippy apartment building where the gang runs the whole building and people are just partying in the halls, but it's all dark and fucked up. And so she meets the guy and he's super drugged out. So she manages to get him talking casually and he tries to, to show off how powerful the gang is and they can do whatever they want. So it's good to be on their side. And he says, hell, you know, we're going to take down the head of the rival gang. We've already got these three patsies ready to take the fall for it. And she's like, oh, oh really? How would that even work? And he's like, oh, we, we just keep them locked down in one of our safe houses. Then after we kill whoever we want, we bring the bodies there without the patsies even knowing. Put the bodies in another room of the house, make it look like a crime scene. Then we bail out of there, just call the cops. Then the cops show up and raid the place. And they find dead bodies and the three patsies right there with them. And then they take the fall. So then he tries to have his way with Zendaya, and she has to kill the guy and escape. And so this leader is like our version of the, the fucking asshole evil moon in the original fairy tale. So she kills the guy and steals his key ring, which has like a million keys on it. And he brags he's got a key to everywhere in the city. So, so now she's got to go find out where they're keeping her brothers. She has no leads. So in an act of desperation, she contacts one of her close friends from childhood who's in the gang, but who was like a fourth brother to her. They're very close. And he's conflicted since he'd be killed if the gang ever found out he was helping her. But, but she appeals to his humanity and he tells her he's, he's not 100% sure what the plan is, but he guessed that they're keeping him, they're keeping the brothers at a place called the Glass Mountain. And the, the gang does large, large-scale drug deals there, so it makes sense if the gang was trying to frame the brothers and make it look like a deal gone wrong, they would do it at Glass Mountain. And so this friend, he's like kind of, he's like the stars, basically, the original version. And the name Glass Mountain actually works, because I think glass is slang for some type of drug. I'm not entirely sure which one. I feel like it's one of the particularly bad chemically ones but so then the friend gives her a gun and Zendaya goes to this big creepy house up on the hill called Glass Mountain and she needs to sneak in the back and she's looking through the key ring and trying to be quiet when she sees that one ring is made of this clear blue hard plastic she's like this must be the key to Glass Mountain and she tries it and sure enough it works so she slips in the back and the house is just super trippy, creepy. It's weird, with it's just dark, with this neon lighting. Like, the level of how surreal this place is, is like a house of mirrors kind of situation. Actually, yeah, that goes with the Glass Mountain thing, too. So let's say there's mirrors everywhere, all over the walls. And she hears people walking around, and there's this old creepy music, and she's trying to avoid the people and the voices that she hears. But it's difficult because there's so many mirrors everywhere, it's hard to hide. She barely manages to evade someone when she turns and sees the reflection of a little person staring at her from a room away. She freezes. Then she runs, and she slips the gun behind a vase to hide it, but then immediately after is caught, and they tie her up, they cover her head with a pillowcase, they cover her mouth so she can't talk, and they're whispering amongst each other, like, I don't know who she is, I don't know why she's here. So she's tied in the chair, and things look really dire for her when she hears her brothers walking down the hall. And one of the gang guys takes the brothers into the room and sit, sits them down. But the sister's head and her mouth are covered, so they don't recognize her. They don't know it's her. 
And the gang guy's like, some troublemaker showed up, just don't know who she is. Just waiting for boss's orders when she gets back. And at this point, the brothers still don't know that they're going to be set up. They just think they're going to help with some job tonight, and then everything will be fine. So they're not prisoners or anything. They're just there, sitting there willingly. They're like, hey, can we get this job done so we can get home and be done with all this? And the gang guy there is like, don't worry, boss will be back soon. He'll tell you what to do. It'll be all done before you know it. So the brothers are sitting there when she tries to talk to get their attention, but her mouth is gagged so she can't talk. And one of the guards just like smacks her in the head. But she's flexing her hand wildly, like her hands are tied up. She's just really sort of moving it wildly behind her back. And then one of the brothers notices that she's wearing the ring that he gave her years ago. So he quietly gets the other brother's attention. And then they notice as well. So now they know something is wrong. They know it's their sister. And then they trick the guard. And when he's unsuspecting, they knock him out, quickly free their sister. And then Zendaya whispers and tells them that they're going to be set up and they have to get out of there. Then they hear cars start to pull up outside. Like, oh shit, the boss is back. So then Zendaya retrieves the gun from behind the vase. And they try to slip out the back, but the, the little person and a couple of guards are in the way. So then we have this super tense sequence where they're trying to stay out of sight in the house of mirrors. With the boss coming back and, and the guards realizing that they're, they've, they're missing. They don't know where they've gone. Once or twice they have to quietly like incapacitate a guard and take their gun. So their cover's blown. Finally, they get found. There's this huge shootout, mirrors breaking all over the place, glass shattering all over. They run and try to escape through the garage where they see the gang like drug lab. And then they look down to see the bodies of the rival gang leader and his guards. Sam Rockwell and his men burst into the garage. And then Zendaya ducks behind a car. And Sam Rockwell sees the brothers there and he's like, you know, it would have been better if you'd just taken the fall, just like we planned. But now... You've got to die. But then Zendaya swings out from behind the car and shoots Sam Rockwell dead. Then one of the brothers, let's say Ronnie Chang, he flips the one of the tables at all the men. And there's all these like torches and beakers and science stuff on the table. And, and so it all lights up in flames and sets the entire wall, goes up in flames. Zendaya gets in the car, yells for the brothers to do the same. She finds the keys. Then they just blast straight through the garage door. The gang guys are firing after them. More explosions go off in the garage as more chemical compounds explode. And then they, in the car, they blast through the front gate and off into the night as the glass mountain goes up in flames behind them and completely burns down. So they get away, they ditch the car, they burn the car too, and they walk home. And the last shot is them walking down the street with a burning car behind them. The... And damn, okay, that was one of the longer adaptations I've done. It's pretty dark, it's pretty messed up. You know what? This original story is pretty dark and pretty messed up too. Let's stick with a dark, messed up, trippy vibe. I'm into that, super into that. So that's how we adapt it. And that will do it for this week's episode. Let me know your own adaptation ideas as well. You can send those to me over on Twitter or Instagram. I am terrible at social media, so I'm not super active on there and don't check it very often. But if you tweet those out or tag me on Instagram, I'm all over it. Love that shit. You can also check out the website, shadowbearstorysessions.com. There you can donate. You can contact me, give me some feedback or suggestions. Love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and come on back next week for a story titled Little Red Cap. 
Is that like Little Red Riding Hood? It might be Little Red Riding Hood. It might be something completely different. We will find out next week. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions.